I think I'm next, and uh, really appreciate the reading of scripture and that <clears throat> wonderful worship leading by Matt and Jake and Pam. Thanks so much for leading us in that glorious worship. That was so great. Love those songs. And somebody has done a beautiful job of a display here this season uh, and prepared this place and is helping with sound and audio and visual. So many people are contributing to making this um, an opportunity for great worship. Well, I just want to say hi and uh, thank you for the privilege of serving you. Thank you for the strong invitation to be your transition pastor. And uh, right from the start, I wish to commend you for the way that uh, you have been working together to move forward in your calling during this unusual time. <clears throat> it seems your leaders have done a great job in seeking to uh, bring <clears throat> unity and harmony to the church. And I especially wish to commend the elders and other leaders of the church who have worked hard and uh, have had patience during this uh, challenging time. <clears throat> and now that I'm here, I look forward to uh, serving, to uh, working together with uh, your leaders and uh, just getting to know the church and as many of you as I possibly can on an individual basis. I, I'm happy to see that you have a pictorial directory that's reasonably up to date. So that is very, very helpful. I always commend a church, especially as a new pastor is coming in, when they uh, have such a tool. Uh, so I'm looking forward to getting to know you uh, on an individual basis, and uh, I'm excited to think and talk about what it means to be a strong New Testament church, uh, a kind of church, in the midst of these very challenging days in which we live. <clears throat> it is true that the work of a transition pastor is somewhat different from that of a resident pastor or even an interim pastor. For one thing, I don't expect to be here that long. I hope that by this time, this is optimistic and a statement of faith, but I hope that by this time next year, you'll have a permanent pastor. How about that? Uh, and I'm not a candidate for the position that needs to be filled. I want to be really upfront about that. Uh, just in case that becomes an issue. In short, I'm here to work with the church in some detail in helping it to prepare for its next pastor. And the, even though I'm working with you as a transition pastor during this time, I, I really want to uh, serve you as your pastor. And I'll be doing most everything a lead pastor does, some, some of the preaching, uh, some pastoring, some leading of the elders and staff, and providing general pastoral oversight to the ministries of the church during this time. That's what I uh, envision. Uh, that's what my role will be. But as a tr transition pastor, I am also committed to working, especially with the elders, in guiding the church through a process of preparing for <clears throat> and conducting a good pastoral search Especially at first, I'm going to spend a lot of time asking questions and listening. Uh, you've been doing a good deal of that already, which is commendable. Uh, we're going to try to expand on what has already been done 
and uh, more formally try to assess uh, the church as time goes by. Uh, listening, however, and you know this is true, doesn't mean we can do everything that people may desire or suggest, right? But at the least, we can find out what you think and hopefully discover together what God's direction is for the church in these days. So, while all of this is happening, the ministries of the church will continue and hopefully even expand, and I look forward to working with the staff and elders and other leaders to see some great things happen here in the church during these days. For me personally, I just want to say that uh, this is a real journey of faith, trusting God for his help and blessing each step of the way. I, I feel very humbled uh, to be among you, and I ask myself, what are you doing here in this time with all these people? except for the fact that I sense that God is led and called, and so I, uh, I want to do it as best as I can. I think of that scripture in 1 Timothy 4.12, uh, kind of a joke there, but it says, let no man despise your youth, but be an example of the believers in word and conversation, in faith and in purity. So uh, that's what I want to try to do while I'm among you. <clears throat> but I need your prayers. I, uh, I need your sympathy, <laughs> I need your support, I need your encouragement, and uh, we need each other. You know that, you need to know that much of what I'll be doing will be done from a distance. <clears throat> uh, the plan is that I'll be here for a couple of Sundays each month uh, and the week between, maybe about 10 or 12 days on site, but also doing some work from home which is uh, what a lot of people are doing these days. And uh, partially that arrangement is because I have family, which is really an important part of my life these, these days, always has been, but these days we wanna, wanna focus more time there because of our grandchildren and so on. I wanna introduce you uh, <clears throat> to the family today. Last Sunday, you met my wife, Carolyn, who isn't able to be here today. <clears throat> And she'll be here from time to time, but uh, most often because of the nature of the, of the work and so on. Uh, I'll be here on my own, but uh, I hope that she's able to join me from time to time. And uh, she and I have been married for, for many years. <clears throat> I think I mentioned that last Sunday. Hate to say how many, but uh, it's been a long time and a good time. <laughs> and we have four children, uh, <clears throat> and, and, and they're all out here in the West. Uh, just to introduce to my Heather, uh, my, my daughter, our oldest daughter, Heather, and her husband, Josh, and her family of four who live in Calgary. We're very close to them. They're only two blocks away from them now, which is wonderful. Our son, uh, Mike, and his wife, Vanessa, and their two children have been living in Portland, Oregon, but are moving, or at least trying to figure out whether they should settle in Canada these days. In fact, this very day, they're traveling, I think, from Nelson, uh, BC to Calgary and will be with us for the next few days. So um, we're looking forward to sort of reconnecting with them after they've been quarantining and all of that. <clears throat> and we're not sure where they're going to settle, but we're praying uh, for them uh, in that regard. Our daughter uh, Leanne and her husband Ryan Kohler and their family live in Maple Ridge. And they have two beautiful little ones whom we love to see, and maybe we'll see them next week. We're not sure yet. 
And then there's our daughter Heidi and her husband Nathan Carroll and their family who live in Edmonton. So that's our family. There are 11 grandchildren and uh, uh, to those four children and their spouses. So that's a really important. But then we have another part of our family, which is kind of funny, but we have a couple of little puppies <clears throat> who are, whose names are Georgie and Tucker. And they're brothers. They're from the same litter. They actually come from Leduc, Alberta, uh, and uh, are a special part of our lives. And oh, it's so interesting to watch these creatures. And every time I, I look at them, I think, boy, God, you have a wonderful sense of humor <clears throat> that you would uh, make something like this. And so we're enjoying that. So uh, I have other responsibilities, some of them also uh, personal ministries <clears throat> here and there. Uh, and as we proceed, you'll get to know more about me through the messages and through our work together. <clears throat> and I'll get to know more about you. And together, I hope we can grow closer to the Lord and to one another. You know, we're just all sinners saved by grace. And we have our issues and difficulties. But uh, God uh, is gracious to us and wants to minister his grace to us as, uh, as only he can. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the privilege of being together and serving you in this way this morning. We thank you for the, the, the worship, for the, the time of... Uh, uh, lifting your name before you with one another. And we just count it a privilege to be your people. There's nothing like it in all the world than to know that we belong to you. And in view of all the things that are happening in the world, we're just so thankful for what we know and what the assurance you've given us concerning this relationship with you and the prospects, not only for the, the eternity, but for, for life here. And uh, I just pray that you would uh, come among us and minister by your spirit uh, to us in these days as only you can. You know what we need. <clears throat> you know us better than we know ourselves. We pray that we might listen for your voice and follow you as you lead. We pray your blessing on your word this morning. Thank you so much for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this is a time of change for you and your church. And uh, if you picked up a copy of the book, which many of you have, and I really appreciate that, uh, you'll see that some of what I'm speaking about this morning is in the first chapter. I'm not going to do that every Sunday, but uh, this morning well, there's some overlap, but with some different applications. So I want to talk about change and how we adapt to it. And uh, based on the experience of the first church in Jerusalem that we read about in Acts chapter 8, and there we read... <clears throat> Um, on that day, a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off men and women and put them in prison. Those who had been scattered... <clears throat> preached the word wherever they went. And Philip <clears throat> went down, Philip went down to the city in Samaria and preached the, the Christ there. And when the crowds heard Philip and saw the miraculous signs he did, they all play, paid close attention to what he said. With shrieks, evil spirits came out of many, and many paralytics and cripples were healed. So there was great joy in the city. 
<clears throat> well, what I've just read about is a story about change, tremendous change for the church in Jerusalem at that time. So whenever you read something from the book of Acts, <clears throat> you can't help asking if this is standard or exceptional. Something theologians refer to as the issue of continuity versus discontinuity. What do I mean by that? Well, in that time, there was a coming of the Holy Spirit and people speaking in languages they didn't even know. There was very significant healings, arrests, and imprisonments, the kind of church discipline that resulted in death, the martyrdom of Stephen, and a lot of persecution. And the question is, should we expect these things to happen today? Is that how we should read Acts? <clears throat> Some are inclined to say yes, which is why we have what we often refer to as more charismatic types of churches, right? Others of us see some continuity, but we often also conclude that this was a rather special time and work of the Holy Spirit through his apostles. Yet sometimes we would agree it is, it is evident that God works in similar ways today. And through the years, as you know, there have been times of spiritual revival that resulted in similar demonstrations of the Spirit's presence. But in this particular case, much of the church today is under similar kinds of persecution that we read about here, especially in parts of the Middle East, in Africa, China, North Korea, parts of Indonesia, and so on. Many are being imprisoned and even executed for their faith. An organization called Open Doors <clears throat> uh, studies this uh, and documents that persecution, documents persecution in the 50 most closely watched countries in the world. Many are killed, imprisoned, or their churches are burned. And uh, Open Doors, as I see, say here, estimates that one in nine Christians around the world experience significant levels of persecution. Open doors, people know about open doors probably. <clears throat> and then there's us here in Canada. Persecution in our part of the world definitely exists, but it tends to be much more subtle. Christians these days are often blamed, as you know, for various kinds of injustice, discrimination, intolerance, etc. So doing the work of an evangelist is a bit more challenging and requires a bit of adjustment in view of this time, in a way. But to avoid persecution, Christians these days often tend to be more passive, sometimes defensive, and even sometimes reclusive. Or the other extreme, they're right out there and uh, causing more difficulties in the whole process sometimes. Yet Jesus' mandate remains the same. Go and make disciples of all nations. <clears throat> In any case, the whole point of the book of Acts is about the coming of the Holy Spirit and how his coming resulted in a rather explosive communication of the gospel and the establishing of churches. There are many points of continuity with Acts that we could talk about today, but surely one of them has to do with the fact of change that God always, or that often God often allows or brings into our lives and uh, then about how we respond to it. <clears throat> the persecution of that time was a huge disruption for the church. 
And it all started with the preaching and martyrdom of Stephen and a Roman Jew by the name of Saul of Tarsus led it. But here's the interesting thing. The effect of all of this was very positive because as the Christians were scattered everywhere, the word was preached to a much wider audience as we read in verse four of chapter eight here. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went and God did amazing things. And all of this speaks to us of how disruption occurs in our lives and the good that can come out of it. And I think we really, really need to remember that in these days of COVID especially. We're wondering, what in the world are you up to, God? And yet we can't help but realize that this is something that God has allowed and is using it for his glory. And we see many evidences of that. And so we give praise to him for who he is and what he's done and is doing even in this time. Only God knows why circumstances in our own lives happen as they do, both in the church and also in our personal lives. And sometimes things happen because it looks like evil is winning. But for the person who's a follower of Jesus, there's always hope, right? And regardless of the intentions of others, God is able to bring about change for good, for we know that all things work together for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And I think this is also true for the changes that God allows and brings about in the church and in a particular church, a local church. You know, this whole subject of change is very interesting uh, and an inevitable aspect of our lives. And, you know, there's been a good deal of attention given to this and how we process these things. Years ago, a philosopher by the name of Heraclitus of Ephesus said, you can never step into the same river twice. And um, you'll know what that means. Despite the inevitability of change, we, we never seem to really get used to it. And most often we look at change as an enemy rather than a friend. So we tend to resist change. We resist change because it makes us feel uncomfortable. It introduces new dynamics into our lives which force us to think and to take action. We naturally resist change because it rocks our sense of security. It makes us feel like we're losing control. And often the older we grow, the more difficult it is to deal with change. Change takes thought, conversation, and energy. Change is painful. It causes stress in our lives. Even good changes can be exhausting. Well, sometimes, as in this story, it seems that God allows change to take place for us to come back to the things that really matter. And in that sense, we might actually think of change as a friend rather than resisting change over which we have no control. We should see how God can use it to move us to new levels of faith and fruitfulness in what really matters. In the Bible, we see many examples of this. We think of uh, Joseph, for example, who, uh, because the envy of his brothers, ended up being thrown into into a hole and carried off to Egypt. Can you imagine how he felt? How horrible. But there in Egypt, he becomes second in command of the land and is used by God to help his family buy grain 
during the famine back in Canaan. He says, you intended <clears throat> to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Think of the changes that God brought to Israel as a nation, both when they were obedient to God and also disobedient. Sometimes circumstances changed in order to test their faith, as when they lived in the wilderness. And there were many instances of individual testing and change, as in the case of Abraham and Moses and Esther, to name only a few. But the biggest change of all <clears throat> was in the introduction of the coming of Jesus. Even though there were many prophecies concerning Jesus in the Old Testament, his own people didn't recognize him when he came. John 1.12, as many received him, uh, no, his own people received him not, but as many as did receive him, to them he gave the power to become the children of God. In Luke chapter 4, we read that after Jesus preached in the synagogues of his hometown, they tried to push him over a cliff because of the kinds of applications he made to their lives. He rebuked them for their unbelief. And soon after that, he developed a reputation for hanging out with tax collectors and sinners, the marginalized people of his day. And when Jesus came, <clears throat> it didn't take long to see that though he was obviously a rabbi, <clears throat> a great teacher, he didn't fit with what they thought they knew. And his coming produced no small stir. He was an agent of change, such radical change that it brought conflict <clears throat> between people. Uh, and in the end, he spoke of the New Testament uh, in Luke 22, of his own blood, as opposed to the Old Testament of the law with its sacrifices and ceremonies. And the change was enormous. <clears throat> Luke 5.33, <clears throat> we read that it was like trying to sew a new patch on an old garment, or like putting new wine in an old wineskin that lost its elasticity. <clears throat> change brings pain. Do not suppose, he said, I've come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. <clears throat> so change did not come easily to the Jews of Jesus' day. And it also doesn't, doesn't come, didn't come easy, easily in Paul's time as he tried to explain the gospel to the Jews. Many mocked his message of saving grace through the cross of Christ. So <clears throat> we should not be surprised if our expressions of faith sometimes cause a disturbance as well. Change in how to handle it, as I say, uh, has become an important kind of uh, subject in recent years. And I myself have uh, found it helpful to think about change and how we process change in our own lives, partially because of what we've gone through in our own lives. And someone has tried to illustrate this, and I've mentioned this in the book, uh, and I think it's an it's a, uh, outstanding illustration. <clears throat> it's by a lady named Virginia Satir, who uh, lived uh, quite a few years ago, and she isn't giving us this illustration from a Christian perspective, but I think it has tremendous application to our lives as Christians, and it simply is that, <clears throat> you know, you have, the, you have the status quo there on the left. Things are going along just fine in our lives, and then there is a destabilizing event. Suddenly something happens to upset everything, and we know this from our experience. There's a death, you lose your job, someone uh, inflicts harm in some way, 
there's an accident, a disaster, a loss of one kind or another. Anybody know about these things in their lives? And the question is, what happens when that, when that takes place in your life? Uh, you, you, you do a bit of a tailspin, right? And you end up in this sort of valley of chaos as uh, uh, it's expressed here. And at first, <clears throat> we're inclined to resist this change and react to it. And soon we experience all kinds of negative emotions which are called, that sometimes called stages of grief, like denial, anger, bargaining, and depression, and so on. But then, here's the good news. In the midst of that, oh, that'd be great. <clears throat> uh, in the midst of that, there is a uh, transforming uh, experience of God's grace in our lives. And this is a remarkable thing to see, how God uh, uses uh, the, the difficult events in our lives uh, to bring about uh, change. Excuse me. And sometimes, um, you know, it will come <clears throat> by way of uh, uh, maybe a, a scripture that we read or a message or a word of encouragement from, some, from someone or just some particular insight so that hope begins to emerge. And in the end, the change is viewed in a new way, and there is some measure of acceptance and resignation. And yielding sets uh, the stage for uh, uh, new beginnings and new growth and new possibilities. And adopting new ways of thinking and learning begins to happen you develop a mindset that enables you to make the most out of your experience. Perhaps, for example, you set yourself to study and pray more deeply, to think differently, and to make new decisions, to move forward. And here's the great news about this. You reach, actually, as a result of this experience, a new stage in life, a new status. You reach reaching higher and further than you were before because of the changes that have taken place in your life. And this, in fact, is what happened in this remarkable story that we read about in Acts chapter 8. So I just want to commend this to you today because I know how this is true in my own life. Uh, I remember quite a few years ago now going through a very difficult time. <clears throat> and it had to do with church experience and so on. And we, we were really touched and devastated by it, really. But, you know, God worked in the midst of that, and, and boy, I wouldn't trade <laughs> that for what I have today in terms of what God's done. And uh, that's why I'm here today, is because of God's grace in the midst of all of this. So I love this illustration because uh, I think it describes so well what happens in our Christian experience so often. <clears throat> and uh, as I conclude today, let me just highlight a few of the ways which I believe God wants us to embrace the changes that occur in our lives. Uh, first of all, <clears throat> how to process change in our own personal lives. And, and I know that all of you have experienced this in one way or another. And I'm wondering where you're at with regard to that today. You may be going along, have gone along just fine when suddenly something happened and has thrown you for a bit of a loop, a sudden loss of one kind or another, maybe in regard to health or work or relationship. And how we respond to these experiences can make the biggest difference in our lives. In the first place, we should look at them from God's perspective. 
Because we believe our lives are in his hands, we should ask how God is using the change to get our attention. Did this change occur because of sin? Or simply because God wants to do some deeper sanctifying work in our lives? Or for the purpose of reaching more people with the gospel? Of course, we need to remember that trial in our lives isn't necessarily always because of sin. Remember what Jesus said in response to the question from his disciples concerning the blind man in John chapter 9. Who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, neither this man or his parents sinned, but that this happens so the work of God may be displayed in his life. So we need to pray what uh, uh, is prayed in Psalm 139. Search me, O God. And know my heart, see if there's any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. We need to let God examine our hearts. Sometimes this takes time. And if God reveals sin, we need to be honest about that and confess it. Too often we aren't honest about sin. But then also we need to consider how God might have allowed something like this because he wants, he wants us to go deeper with him, to grow, to enable more people to come to know him. And that leads us to the issue of processing change in the church. As I've said, and as you know, much of my pastoral work in recent years has been with churches that are suddenly thrust into change, which is why I'm bringing you this message this morning. And most often, but not always, the church is going through change because of difficulties that have emerged surrounding the pastor's resignation. But sometimes, too, churches are simply seeking to know how they can understand their calling better before they hire the next pastor. Regardless, changes in churches can be very difficult. Sometimes the changes have come because of sinful attitudes, idolatries of one kind or another. But maybe God simply wants to take the church deeper, to do a bit of pruning in its life, as John 15, 2 says, he cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. In the end, the issue is always about how to go deeper in trusting God and following him. And this has been one of the lessons God has taught us, as I've said, through the difficult changes that God has brought in our lives. I confess we haven't always responded the way he would want us to but he's been gracious. He uses change as a pruning mechanism in our lives. Pruning, you know all about pruning. And God does that with us. And finally, <clears throat> what is God's purpose in change? Well, he wants to use change as, a, as an agent of blessing in our lives. God is an agent of change, especially uh, through the gospel. Here's the question. Why do you think God allowed to happen what happened in Jerusalem at that time? Well, the answer seems to be right there in Scripture because the word of the, the Lord was spread more generally. More people heard about Jesus. And isn't that one of the reasons why God allows difficulties to arise in our lives? Uh, so that's, the, that's the, really the, the point of Acts chapter 8, verse 4. His heart is for more and more people to come to know the good news concerning Jesus. That's his passion. Uh, I mean, this is, this is the gospel, the good news that God wants the world to know. 
And the world's not paying much attention these days to that, especially in these parts of the world. And I think this is his greatest concern today as well. He has called Christians and the church through the gospel to actually be agents of change. So, so not only to receive change in our own, but that we might become agents of change in the world in which we live. This is the, the, the word of John 20, 21. G, uh, Jesus said, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. So as we open our lives to the ministry of the Spirit, we should expect that it will result in a greater understanding of the gospel and a commitment to make it known in the world. And through this transition, one of the questions we'll want to explore is how God wants to use your church in these days to be an agent of change through the gospel here and around the world. That's, a, that's the big question, because his will regarding that hasn't changed. So I hope you're encouraged to see the changes that God brings into your own life or the church as a good thing a way to experience his grace in a greater way and to be an agent of change through the gospel. Let's pray. Father, <clears throat> we thank you for this story in Acts chapter 8. We are connected with these people in this chapter, in this story, by virtue of our common faith in Jesus Christ and the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Thank you for their willingness to pay the ultimate price, to be scattered and to share the message of the gospel wherever they went. Help us to be bold in our willingness to stand for Christ and his gospel in these days. And if you bring changes into our lives, Help us not to reject them as intruders, but to welcome them as friends, to realize that they come to test our faith and to produce in us the uh, quality of endurance. I pray that you let it so work that the process may continue, that we might become mature with the right kind of independence. So, Father, we pray that you administer to each one who's going through a change that maybe nobody else is aware of this morning. <clears throat> Help them to know how to respond to this in the way that you would want them to. Help them to see that this can be a good thing. I pray, Lord, for your mercy upon them. And then with regard to the church and all that's going on here in these days, we pray, Lord, that your people may embrace this change in a way that is positive and productive. I pray that you would guard us regarding our attitudes and that you would help us to see the possibilities, and to be people of faith and expectation and encouragement in this time. Help us to be good listeners to you and to one another. I pray for your blessing as we seek you. Help us to be honest with ourselves regarding the work of your spirit. If there is sin, help us to be uh, honest about that and to deal with it and confess it. If we're going through a test, help us to respond in a way that uh, blesses your name. So we just commit this uh, word to you this morning and the church and thank you for the presence and ministry of the Spirit of God who is here because of Jesus and what he's done for us and we look forward to celebrating this amazing 
truth that Christ came to die for our sins and rise again for our justification. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.